Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men pursuing faith, character, personal growth, and meaningful friendships. If you'd like to learn more about us and our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. We hope you enjoy this lesson from our series called Genesis, Why Is It This Way? Tonight, I think one of the key themes is waiting on God. That's when I spent time working on this. This what spoke to me, um, and I'll, I'll explain more. This is, I, may, I may be actually talking to myself here most of tonight, so if you guys don't mind, I'm going to sort of let you into my own head here a little bit, and you'll get, a, you'll get a sense for that right away. It's like, oh yeah, that's built problem for sure. So I've discovered there's a high percentage of men who struggle with waiting. And uh, quite a bit, actually. Like, this is a pretty pervasive problem. And I'm sure many of you would be actually shocked if I told you that I have a problem waiting. It is in the top three of things I hate. Susie and the boys have endured numerous times with me getting angry, driving over curbs, breaking rules, and being aggressive with people who tried to make me wait. So, but this summer, I took some time off, and this was one of the things I sensed God saying this needs to change in you, Bill. Something needs to move here. And so there's some guys in my life that I deeply respect, and, uh, and I ask for help in these things. And I was asking these guys, like, hey, I think I've got an issue with contentment. And one of the guys said, I don't think you're reading yourself right. I'm like, well, there's a shocker. Um, he said, I think what you struggle with is restlessness. And I was like, say more about that. So he sent me just a, a paragraph of how he saw restlessness. Let me read this to you. It was a little bit hard to read, but it was helpful. Achievement, accomplishment, and business define the restless man. The restless man is only fulfilled when he is running at maximum capacity. He has to be going 100 miles an hour, ready to hit a brick wall. They take joy in their achievements, and these become the source for which they define their value. The biggest fear of this person is to be labeled as slothful lazy, unproductive, half-hearted, and not working up to their full potential. It's very difficult for this person to stop. The concept of being still is not in their vernacular. Having an empty plate with nothing to do will drive this person nuts. Meditation, reflection, contemplation, and introspection aren't in their grasp. They're just too difficult to measure the outcome in a way that will help define who they are and how they win. And this is where God says to us in Psalm 46.10 that the best thing we can do in difficult times in our life is to be still. Yet this person doesn't get that. For them, the best thing they can always be doing is to act. The more actions, the more success. The more success, the more definition of who they are, the better they sleep at night, the more satisfied they feel in their own skin. This person doesn't necessarily care about stuff like the covetous person, but they have an insatiable desire to do and be more and when they can't do more and when they don't have something to achieve it's easy for them to go into a state of depression and despair and my sons are going oh my gosh that's my dad <laughs> like that's him exactly and sadly that does describe me pretty well and in this in introspective season i didn't really like to read that it was actually kind of hard to read and it was like am i really that bad and my wife read it and she said, honestly, yeah, that's, that's you. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know what's sad about this is it makes it clear that I actually can't wait that well. And the bad part of that is when God says, Bill, I need you to wait, 
I'm going to really struggle. When Abraham was 75 years old, God made his first promise to him about being a great nation, implying he would have a son. Some years later, he specifically promised him a son. And then 10 years into that promise, Abraham and Sarah got tired of waiting. They forced their servant Hagar to have sex with Abraham. She gave birth to Ishmael. Then 15 years after that, God actually ends up delivering on his promise and gave them the son that they should have waited for. The story in Genesis 21 reveals the outcomes that Abram experienced by living both as a faithful man and as a restless man. And I found it interesting that when you read Paul's commentary in Galatians 4 of this text, he says this, there are two types of people who came from Abraham. Isaac, who was born from a spirit of trusting in the promise of God, that spirit waited faithfully for God to act on his promise. The other person, Ishmael, was born from a manipulative, unfaithful, controlling spirit that did not trust in God and took control to get what he wanted. Two spirits in the same man, saved man, righteous with God, yet he's acting with these two different ways. Two children are born and they're manifestations of this bipolar nature in essence. I feel this. Paul's point is that Christians are to live with the spirit that produced Isaac, not the spirit that produced Ishmael. Living with the spirit that birthed Isaac requires faith and patience. That man knows God's promises and he trusts God's going to deliver. Living with that spirit that birthed Ishmael lacks faith. It's restless and it keeps full control, only seeking God during rare and extreme situations. That man believes in his own accomplishments and loves to prove he is Christian by excelling in Christian behaviors. Which spirit would you say controls your life? My prayer tonight is that the Holy Spirit will help you see the value in waiting on God. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do love you, and we do ask you to join us now. Lord, help our minds be open to being more about waiting instead of controlling. Lord, help us hear this, Lord. The bad parts, the good parts, but help us hear this, Lord. Father, don't let me get in the way. I so worry that my words, my actions, my noise... My crazy behavior gets in the way. Lord, help that not be the case. Help these guys hear you, not me. And Lord, the same with their phones. Help their phones just stay out of the way tonight, Lord. Bless these dear brothers. Help us enjoy this time with you, Lord. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. In Genesis 21, the first verses 1 through 7, Isaac is in fact born to Sarah and Abraham after 25 years of promise. God did make them wait a very long time. One key principle is that God's timing often does require us to wait. And we saw that in the John passage that was referenced in the lesson, 11, 1 through 14, where Lazarus was dying and Jesus waited for him to die. Jesus did nothing so the faith of his disciples would be built. Jesus made the family of Lazarus suffer. They have no idea this is going on, but they're suffering immense emotional pain so that Jesus can get his disciples to believe in him. He knew he was going to heal Lazarus, but waiting was critical in revealing his power and his identity in God. God may be forcing you to wait. And boy, man, do I spend a lot of hours with a lot of you guys, and waiting is a common theme. And I just want to tell you how much it hurts me when I see guys waiting so hard 
for so many things. And I can't get into that whole piece in this lesson. There's just other stuff to cover, but I just want you to know how much I suffer with you guys. I feel your pain waiting for a wife, waiting for a baby, for healing, for a diagnosis, and sometimes for somebody in your life to die, a job or a conflict to end. Man, guys, there is so much of that in this room right now. There's a lot of guys struggling with this. And this story reveals that while you are waiting, God is working. He's always working. You just haven't seen it yet. And key outcomes are being built. He's building things you can't design that you can't even imagine in your mind's eye. He's doing that while you can't see it. And these outcomes may be for you, and they may not be. There are times we just flat need to wait and trust God. And that's all you can do. So how is God making you wait right now? God made them wait until they were so old that everybody would know God did this miracle. Sarah was 99 and pregnant. The Bible says that she was so stinking old, man, she was just, there wasn't much left to give. But you gotta think how much crazy this was to see this woman, like, she had to be kind of stunning because these kings kept snatching her up. But now she's pregnant. She's got this young girl's body. Think about it. She had to have a dramatic change in her body to carry the baby. Her body's stretching out. Her hips, everything's having to deal that. You know what, what happens to a woman when she gets pregnant. And these girls are young, and they got to be able to handle this. Then she's got to give birth. Giddy up. And then she's got to... She's got to wean this baby for at least two or three years. I mean, so this, her body went through a radical transformation. And that had to be shocking as people were looking at this, like physically with their eyes, like what? And I loved, uh, I loved Dr. Ware last week for you guys that weren't here. He calls Abraham Abe. So, so rich old Abe had nothing to do with any of this, you guys. It wasn't on Abe, it was on God. Only God could have done that kind of miracle. There'd be no possible way for anybody to assign success of this to anybody but God. There's no possible way. God was also using this to break the pride and arrogance of Abraham. He was so stinking proud of being a man with a son, an heir, because he's a rich guy. And he wants everybody to see his kid get his wealth. So this is a big deal with him. And God's breaking this arrogance and this pride in him. He could see the controlling, restless man that birthed Ishmael still living in Abraham. And he wasn't going to allow that character to stay alive in this man of God that was going to be the source of faith for the world. And God often makes you wait to force you to become dependent on him. And that's what he was doing with Abraham. When we believe in God, Waiting will draw us close to him. It will make us dependent on him. And then there's another response. When we only have faith in ourselves, waiting will create resentment, bitterness, and drive us away from God. How, could you, how would you describe the direction you're moving while you wait? Toward God or away from God? Ishmael or Isaac spirit? Which one are you? In Genesis 21, 8 through 14, God instructed Abraham to, Abraham to kick Ishmael out of his home. Sarah was very unhappy with Ishmael, who was mocking Isaac. She could see Ishmael was not going to handle being the second kid. That was not going to go well. Ishmael knew the covenant of God did not pass through him. He was born of a slave and would not be part of this family. The best path forward was to get him out of what would be a very difficult life 
seeing his brother, his younger brother, by a lot being treated way better than he would ever be. In fact, some say Ishmael may have killed Isaac, just like Cain had killed Abel if they had stayed in the same house together. Guys, sibling rivalry is very real, and it's very destructive. For you guys that have brothers, I have two brothers or older brothers, sibling rival is legitimate. And I got two sons, and they can have some sparks. So, yeah, rivalry is hard. But what's really tough in this story is this rivalry would have never existed if old, ha- if old Abe had waited on God. What family rivalries have you created because of your sinful inability to wait? Ishmael was about 16 years old when God told Abraham to kick him out. This had to be brutally difficult. He had loved this boy for 16 years. This was his only son. Can you imagine how close these guys were? And now God's saying, no, you got to give up this boy. God knew this family arrangement was broken and would destroy the covenant line of Isaac. Hagar, an Egyptian, may have still had some pagan ways, even though she still believed in God. There may have still been some pagan ways, and when things got chippy, her jealousies would rise. Nothing about this was going to work, and God knew that. There may be times when you have to kick a child out of your home. Their choices and behavior make it impossible to allow them to live in your house. Guys, this is common when adult children are irresponsible with money, sex, your property, and their lifestyle in your household. The worst worst path The worst path is to allow that behavior to keep happening in your home. The hardest thing to do is to kick your child out, but there's times you have to. It's the right thing to do, and God shows that here. What child do you need to kick out of your home right now? For young men in this room who are living with their parents, what behavior do you need to change that is causing your parents immense pain and forcing them into a difficult decision about you? In Genesis 21, 15 through 21, Abraham was obedient to God. Abram did as he was told, and he kicked Ishmael and Hagar out of their home. He only provided a little food and a skin of water. I mean, I can't understand this. This had to be so brutally harsh because this man is stinking wealthy. He could have provided camels, servants, food, tents, all the things they needed. He gives them a skin of water and a bag of food. I can't imagine how devastating that moment has to have been for Ishmael and Hagar. They had to be thinking, are you kidding me? Like, what is this? That had to feel like the most unjust thing you could ever do. Evil, unimaginable. Then there are times when God does, in fact, allow life to take us to the pit of hell, and it makes absolutely no sense. Sometimes we suffer immense pain at the hands of the very people we love and that we trust. We've all been on the receiving end of something like that. And sadly, I would say most of us have been on the giving end and created some of that pain. God allows every single person to experience deep emotional pain. And often that pain reveals how bad our sinful behavior actually is so that we can see sin as it really is. What have you, who have you hurt because of hasty, selfish decisions and how much has that sin hurt for you to see how bad it is in god's eyes abraham chose to obey god even when it hurt him verse 11 said it distressed him greatly 
This was a son he deeply loved. Can you imagine how much that love felt and how hard it was to push him out? In James 2.23, Abraham is called a friend of God because he trusted God even in this kind of moment when he had to push out a child he deeply, deeply loved. Yet, Abe must have also known in the back of his mind that Ishmael was an act of disbelief in God. He caused this child to be born by not trusting God. God was allowing Abram to feel the consequences of his own sin. Think about David when his first son died. God punished his adultery and murder that were born from what? A spirit of restlessness. When we choose not to wait, we often sin, especially us men. And God sometimes lets the sin run its full course to break our selfish spirit. Psalm 51 captures this well. It says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Abram's faith was being grown through the pain of his sinful choice. His broken spirit revealed his true faith in God. What sin are you holding on to that God needs to use to crush your spirit? In Genesis 21, 15 through 21, God provided an angel, water, his presence, archery skills, and an Egyptian wife for Ishmael. That dude did well. God wanted Ishmael to learn how to survive and to be a strong leader in this setting. That's why he put him out there. This was a training ground for Ishmael, but he wasn't alone. God was there providing all he needed. This boy was at the age, he was about 16 when he was ready to develop into a man. He's ready to go. And God said, you need to learn to live in a desert because you're going to lead people that live in a desert. He was setting this boy up to be a great leader and he was forging his skills in adversity. The hardest parts of my life to help me grow the strongest. My wife had two sons. We had two sons together. Both pregnancies were brutally difficult. She went into labor very early on and in both pregnancies ended up in the hospital eight weeks before delivery, stayed in bed the entire time for both pregnancies. So I would drive from our home. We had a home in the southwest suburb of Chicago. I would drive to Loyola every single night. My plant was down in Hamadina and it was about an hour and 10 minute drive to Loyola, then back to my house every single night, back and forth, back and forth. I'm eating crappy food all the time, every single night for eight weeks. I'm getting tired, I'm exhausted from work, I'm stressed out, and I gotta go into this hospital and see my wife and be happy and bring chocolate and smile and talk and I'm done for the day. I'm like, this stinks, man. So you can imagine what I learned, patience, which for me is a gold mine, right? Any patience is better than nothing, which I have very little of. But I also learned self-control because during those eight weeks, both pregnancies, there was no sexual activity you learn self-control. Guy in my church told me this. He said, Bill, he was watching me at a, at a spiritual thing I was leading one time and it went really well. We had a bunch of guys fired up and he got done and he walked up, old guy, put his arm around me, he said, hey, just want you to know there's no growth on the mountaintops. It all happens in the valleys. And I was like, I just thought I did something really good there. Is that, was that a compliment or what, what was that? And he was saying, get off the top of the mountain, dude, because that's not where the growth is going to happen. You're going to get pummeled up there, man. Get in the valley. 
And that's what I have discovered, guys. It's during these valley times that we learn and grow. And God's saying, don't try to escape from the valley. Stay in there and grow. Guys, we also can't rescue our kids from these valleys. They have to experience adversity. That's how they're going to grow and get stronger as well. How are you handling your hardship right now? Are you growing or are you running? Ishmael would have had 12 sons that would produce much of the Arab nation, one of the wealthiest people groups in the world. This is an incredible story. Muhammad, the father of Islam, claims his lineage is from one of those 12 tribes. And they've been at odds with the Jews and Christians for thousands of years now. The Arab-Israeli conflict is rooted in this schism between Isaac and Ishmael. God knew this would happen, and yet he allowed it. Why would God do this? It seems absolutely stupid. But God, throughout the entire Bible, always allows evil individuals to hurt his people. He uses them to reveal his power and his love and to draw us back to him. Listen to Isaiah 54, 16 through 17. See, it is I who created the blacksmith, who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. And it is I who have created the destroyer to work havoc. But no weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me. God's saying, this is how I do things. You will be brutalized by people that hate you, and then you will be saved by me. This is how he works. God allows evil people to come into your life to break you, to reveal your pride and the sins that are keeping you from him. Who is the person God has sent that is making your life miserable right now? One last point is that many of the sons of Ishmael are now being saved by the greatest son of Isaac, Jesus. Isn't that the coolest thing ever? It's just so stinking ironic. God's like, yeah, that's how I work. God showed in this text that he loved both of the sons of Abraham. He took care of Ishmael. God came to save all men who would believe in his son Jesus. Romans 10, 13 says, For all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul makes it clear in Galatians 4 that those who believe in Jesus are sons of Abraham. Therefore, we should pray for our brothers, both Jews and Muslims. Jesus will re reunite all of us who believe in him, and there will be Jews, Muslims, and Christians all together at that reuniting time. In fact, millions of Muslims have come to Jesus in the last 20 years. Muslims are seeing the pain and suffering caused by the radical groups like ISIS, Hamas, and Al-Qaeda, and huge numbers of them do not believe that murder is the way to heaven. Leading the Way is a powerful group that's online that has these great YouTube testimonies of Muslims. Leading the Way, incredible videos. You've gotta just get on there and watch some of these. And if you're more of a reader, check out two books, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, and Dreams and Visions is Jesus Awakening the Muslim World. I've read both fabulous stories of God moving in the Muslim world to save the Muslims in these countries. It's incredible. There are over 1.8 billion Muslims in the world that have not yet converted to Christianity. So yeah, there's a lot of work to do, but I'll tell you what, it's really encouraging to know that God does love those guys, you guys, it's cool. I'm out walking tonight, getting just my, I try to get a walk in pretty regularly. I'm out taking a walk. And this dude pulls up next to me and he gets out and he's a young guy and he, he's clearly Arab and he's got a gold chain and, and he's, he's not smiling, but he's getting out and he's coming towards me. And I'm like, oh, we're going to square off here. 
So I'm, I'm kind of locking in. I'm like, all right, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, Mike had shown me, Mike, where are you? Mike had said, just, just, just move like this and miss the first punch. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to do the Mike thing and hopefully they hit me with the second one. Um, and then he smiles and he's got a big chain with some Arabic on it and he goes, hey, do you live here? And I said, yeah. And he's like, hey. And he's like, I'm a, I'm a realtor and I'm just trying to find something to buy and sell. And I'm like, oh, great. Um, so I was cordial to him and he hands me some business cards and he goes, well, if you get fired up or know of anything or whatever, I, I, you know, just stay in touch. I'd love to stay in touch. And I'm like thinking, yeah, I will. And I was going to just put it in my pocket and let it drop on the ground, you know, as I walked away. And I thought, no, wait a minute. You literally just read that you should love your Muslim brother. So instead of doing that, I took his card. I took 10 steps and I stood there and I prayed for him. And I said, Lord, please bring this young man to Christ. Bring him to Jesus. And it felt so good because normally I would have been like, are you kidding me? You know, I mean, I kind of had that attitude and I, 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 I felt it change. I was like, that changed in me. Something changed in me because of this text. How will you treat Muslims when you see them in our culture? I hope this changes you too. Abraham was credited his salvation when he believed God would give him a son. Abraham then sold out his wife twice, committed adultery by sleeping with his servant, and had a son that was not the one God had wanted him to have. Then he had to kick his son out, whom he deeply loved, that had to go wander in the desert and almost die. This is exactly what we do as Christians. We commit our life to Jesus, then we ignore the promises of God. We live trusting in ourselves, unwilling to wait for God. We strive to live out the behaviors that make us feel successful as Christians, yet at the same time never releasing full control to Jesus. The American performance-based culture has fully engulfed our thinking. We easily sin against God and people we love because we are restless and needing to feel in control of our life. The story tonight makes it clear. God still loves us even when we treat him like that. It just amazes me. I got done. I said, yep, I do all those things. I'm that restless idiot, and you still love me. God not only comes along and fulfills all of his promises, but he also fixes all the stuff I break. God has given me an ability and a spirit to start and build new ventures. And I know at a painfully deep level what it feels like to be restless and to do my own thing. And I know what it's like also to be patient and to wait on God. I've experienced both. I know the Abraham experience. Packmore Foods Kenya was a company I birthed out of a desire to feed the hungry people in East Africa. And I spent millions of dollars in East Africa trying to grow food and build a way to process it to feed lots of hungry people. Heart of a Man was birthed out of a desire to help heal the broken hearts of men. One was built with a restless, restless spirit hoping to prove my worth by doing good Christian work. The other was started because I knew God was telling me it was time to follow him. So the question of the night, which one do you think is producing the most fruit? Heart of a man was birthed from waiting, and the fruit is tenfold of that of Packmore Foods Kenya. I started Packmore Foods Kenya because I was a businessman. I was bringing Christ to the workplace and I believed in businesses' missions, and I still do, but I believed I could do it there, and I went there on my own accord, not under the leadership of God, not waiting for Him. I got there because I had a plan, and I knew I could get it done. That was the Isaac, not, no, the Ishmael spirit 
and I felt it. And every door I would try to go through would close. Everything I would do wouldn't work. Lots of, lots of money spent, losses everywhere, and just small amounts of fruit being born. And yeah, we've got some good relationships and there have been some good things happen, but not like what is happening here, you guys. Heart of a man was birthed out of me, my desire to wait on God, and I have waited, and I've waited, and I've been patient, and when I wanted to run, I haven't. When I wanted to move forward, I've stopped, and God said, that I will bless. And I can tell you, the fruit in here has been rich, and God is blessing this because I am not trying to run my own stinking play. We don't need to live creating self-inflicted wounds from a restless spirit. We just don't. Learning to wait on God brings incredible freedom and a lot of joy, and I can tell you it does. There are many choices that will help you wait well. Let me just give you a few as we end. Accept that God has a plan. He is building something you cannot see or understand. Agree with God that his plan does not depend on your performance level. Your self-worth and identity can feel like it's coming from your Christian achievements, but that's incredibly misleading. Be grateful for what you do have and stop obsessing over what you want. Develop your character by allowing others to help you grow and mature. Use your waiting time to love and help others and stop thinking about yourself all day. Study the Bible to learn to listen to God and to learn His promises. Pray before making any decisions and then wait to hear God speak. Turn off the radio, turn off the commentaries, shut down the noise, and just listen. He will speak. And last, allow godly people you trust to weigh in on your decisions. Listen to what the scripture says. We put them up for you. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Be patient before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. But those who wait for the Lord, those who wait for the Lord, they will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord. How will you wait on God this week? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this time, Lord. And you talk to me as clear as I've ever heard you to wait. And maybe no one else got that message, but I sure did. So I'm grateful, Lord. I sure heard you. Lord, help me wait this week on you more and more. Lord, I hope other guys will join me and wait as well and let you lead so that we may feel the abundance of what you've got for us and the promises that you've given us. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. Bless my precious brothers. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.